You're listening to Wood Talk Online, a podcast for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are your hosts, Mark Spagnolo and Matt Vanderlist. Take it away, boys. Welcome to Wood Talk Online, episode fifty five zero. That's half of a hundred uh, for it February. Is? Yeah, that's that's a big number for us actually. But February tenth, two thousand nine. I'm Mark Spagnolo. And I'm Matt Vanderlist, and normally this is the part where I say something that I think is funny. Most people just roll their eyes. My wife will go into a convulsion, but I don't really have anything funny to say, so I'm just going to get right into what we should be talking about, which is if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, something you're going to hear today or something you haven't heard yet, you know what? You can get a hold of us one way or the other by either dropping us an email at woodtalkonline at gmail.com, or you can pick up the phone and you can leave us a message on our voicemail at 623 242 2450. As always, we'll have this information on the website, in the show notes. Email us, whatever. We'll get a hold of you one way or the other, or you get a hold of us, some, something like that. Absolutely. Yes. Yep. Now, today, today, Matt, as you know, as the, the butterflies in your belly are probably reminding you, it's a very special show. That's right. It is our 50th one, and we have got a big thing with popular woodworking. I think they're re- renewing my subscription. Wasn't that part of the deal? I think it's something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, if you're lucky, maybe. Um, yeah, so for anyone who doesn't already know, we are working in cooperation with Popular Woodworking, and this is our first episode where we sort of collaborated on some content, and it should uh, provide us with some exciting new things from uh, from here on out. So we're really excited about it. If there's anybody who is new to the show, uh, just make sure you uh, know where the chat rooms are. There's one at thewoodwhisperer.com slash live and one at popularwoodworking.com slash talk. And it's all the same chat room, so it doesn't matter which page you go to. Uh, the live stream we've got going here most of the time is this wonderful shot of me and, and a bunch of electronics. Um, but I'm going to try and do my best to throw up images that are relevant to what we're talking about. So that'll be something new for me to try to, to uh, juggle while we're doing the show. Right, um, and you definitely don't want to have any images of me. We tried that once before, and the demand for it to shut down the show <laughs> overwhelmed the servers, so we have opted to just simply have Mark. There's no way in the world we're going to have me on there. Yeah, maybe someday we'll be able to do both streams at the same time, but it just didn't work out last time. Uh, you know, and I thought it might be a, a good idea for us to kind of just give a brief um, intro to who we are, if anybody is, is really new to the whole show, and why we do this uh, crazy little thing here. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, my name is Mark Spagnolo, and I have a site called thewoodwhisper.com, and I do a lot of instructional videos on the topic of woodworking and try to educate and entertain people as we go and you know, try to look at the lighter side of woodworking and also uh, learn, learning something along the way. And we do this little show called Wood Talk Online Together, and um, yeah, there's really not much yeah. more about it. <laughs> and who are you, Matt? Who are you? Okay, well, I'm Matt Vanderlist, and I'm the host of Matt's Basement Workshop Podcast. And basically, I, it's more or less a blog where I'm talking about some of the great stuff I do in woodwork. Well, I can't say it's great stuff. The stuff I do in woodworking, and the whole idea is I want to learn more, so I figured I would talk to all of you, tell you what's going on, and if it sounds right to you, let me know it sounds good. And otherwise, <laughs> tell me I'm doing something wrong, and we'll go from there. It's been going on for about three years now. We are actually heading into our second year Ooh. here at Wood Talk Online. It's hard to believe two years and the funny part wow. about it is April 1st will be our anniversary. So <laughs> Which is appropriate, I think. <laughs> I think so, too. <laughs> so when someone's about to tell us that this has all been a joke. So 
<laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> now, and we we should we should dispel a myth a myth right up front. We didn't get this thing with popular woodworking because we have incriminating photos of uh, Chris Schwartz. Although I, I do have a couple of things from wood to, uh, from uh, woodworking in America that probably could help out, but it's just because of the fact we've been doing this for so long and we're just damn good. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know about that, but um, Matt, if you want to give them the uh, the information on the the subscription and iTunes and things like that, how yep. they could subscribe. At- Absolutely. Let's just jump right into that, which is if you're interested at all in subscribing to Wood Talk Online, because it's a regular podcast and you can get it through any of your podcast uh, uh, catchers, especially iTunes, more or less you just have to simply subscribe using an RSS feed, which would be http colon slash slash feeds dot feedburner dot com slash Wood Talk Online. Now, if I said that too fast, we'll make sure we have the, the show notes for you, make it very easy for you just to click on and get subscribed. In fact, actually, you can just head to the website at uh, thewoodwhisperer.com, click on where it says Wood Talk Online. You'll have all that great information there. So definitely do that, and that way Wood Talk Online will come to you as soon as it's available, and you don't have to do anything except sit back and enjoy. Absolutely, yeah. All right, so enough of the uh, the crap. Let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about what's on the workbench um, All right, what's going on with you first? You 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 first, because I just got done talking, and I think people's ears need something <laughs> you need to a, listen to. You need a drink of water. Uh, <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. Uh, well, this week I was putting the um, the final touches on the steamer trunk, and everything is pretty much done right now. I'm waiting on hardware, so I haven't jumped into uh, all of the finishing. I did a little bit of pre finishing here and there, and as I've been waiting for my eighty dollar hardware kit from Rockler, Ooh. which is actually specifically recommended for this particular plan. Uh, I had a conversation with uh, Tree Frog. Uh, if anybody doesn't know, he's probably already in the chat room. But Tree Frog Furniture, uh, I think that's the name of his website. I want to put up the link to his website too. Anyway, uh, Tree and I, I think, have a lot in common in, in our tastes as far as what we like. And he he looked at the trunk and he's like, you know what? Why don't you look at possibly going with like uh, Tansu hardware? So if you're not familiar with that, it's a that Japanese style cabinetry that's uh, f- adorned with a lot of metal. Uh, very, okay. Yeah, very durable, very cool-looking cabinets, and the the, the hardware itself uh, really becomes a part of of what makes an artistic statement about those pieces, and uh, they're really amazing. So he looked at it, and he's like, you know, you should really think about the Tansu stuff. So I, I looked it up. I'm like, you know what? That would absolutely, completely change the look of this thing, but honestly, for the better. So uh, nice. in addition to the standard kit that I ordered, I, I went and ordered some of this other hardware, which I'll. Uh, probably be that'll be the hardware that I actually do install on the piece. Uh, but it's good to have the other set just if anybody wants to go a little bit more uh, traditional on it, I'll be able to show them how to do that. Um, right. So yeah, so that's really about it. And hopefully I'll be finishing that up in the next uh, few days as soon as the hardware arrives. Sweet. Now, okay, so one of those kind of tangenty questions, but this, this Tansu look, I, I know what you're going for here. Is this like the equivalent of like the body piercing of the woodworking world, like you just adorn the living daylights out of with all this metal, or is it more of a bondage kind of a thing? Uh, a little bit of both, I like to think. Um, nice. I just put up. <laughs> oh, okay. See, here's here's where my noobness is coming through with this uh, this program I'm using. But if you look at the feed right now, I just put up a picture of a typical chest that you would see, uh, a Tanzu style oh. chest, and you could see all the hardware on there. Oh, um, that looks awesome. That's yeah, fantastic. It's really beautiful. I like them a lot. You know, I have something similar to that, but I use a lot of like those little L brackets that you get at like the hardware center because <laughs> okay. they keep falling over. You know, forget traditional joinery. I go for something like this. It doesn't yeah. look as nice. Yeah, they're there. They're there to protect, but not necessarily to hold your project together. <laughs> so, oh, in that case. <laughs> let, let me clarify. Um, so, how about you? What, what's going on in the shop? 
Okay, well, nothing that exciting. Uh, about the most, the closest thing that I had really exciting recently was, and we we talked about this before. I know recently, um, I, I do believe that was actually with uh, Nicole's picture frame. You were talking a little bit about using dyes, mm-hmm. and you, you showed how to do it. And so I'm like, you know what? I've got these powdery things up in my shelf, and I bought them a long time ago because I read a great article. I'm like, I'm going to try them. So I finally brought it down, and a long time ago, I built my daughter this really nice uh, um, cherry matte style dresser and and i forgot to put the back on it actually i didn't forget i just never got around to putting the back on it and i didn't have any cherry that really matched it i'm thinking you know what i'm going to use some of this dye that's like it says it's antique cherry so i I mixed that up put it together and i ended up just using poplar because it's just you know it's the back of the 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 desk so i'm thinking secondary wood's perfectly fine but let's see if we can get it to match as nice as we could whoa it actually worked really <laughs> it looked it looked amazing nice. i showed it to my wife and i kind of held it up next to the uh, the cherry desk and i'm like what do you think about this cherry and she's like mm, it, it looks pretty good it's it's pretty darn close you know is it just new stuff i'm like sure okay yeah absolutely <laughs> right so you know so it definitely it worked out nice and then i figured you know since i'm experimenting i just kind of played around with a little bit and it's definitely something I think we're going to have to talk about on the show later on or something or another time and just really talk about playing with dyes because you can do so much with them. They're inexpensive. Mm-hmm. They don't stink, and they're pretty much safe anyways. I mean, I'm sure if I accidentally somehow drink it, it's not going to kill me. Probably a little upset tummy or something, but that's about it. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend so, it. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, But that that's about the, the biggest thing I've done in the shop recently. And really, the only other big news I have coming up is I, I had mentioned uh, on Twitter and I think maybe in Facebook, I was thinking about taking a class at the Mark Adams School. And you know what? I went ahead and took the plunge. I, I signed up and I'm all set. April 25th and 26th, there's going to be a class being taught by uh, the Schwartz himself, Chris Schwartz and Thomas Lee Nielsen, all about hand planes. And we all know how much I love hand planes. Yeah. And I like to think I know what I'm doing with them, but I might not. So maybe <laughs> maybe if I take the class, I'll definitely learn a lot more. And I guess it's like bring hand planes. They're going to do sharpening and set up and everything else. So I'm really definitely looking forward to it. I, I think they said wow. there's still some more openings. So if anybody's interested, definitely check that out. But uh, that's my big thing. I'm like, ah, just the year for education, man. I want to try a few other things out too. So That's awesome, man. That's like a dynamic duo of uh, hand plane action over there. Yeah, tell me about it. I was thinking about trying to get an upfront bench and bring in all my uh, like Lee Valley planes and just setting them up right up front there. Like, Mr. Lee Nielsen, can you show me how to, oh, this isn't your plane. <laughs> Oops, sorry about that. Want to replace it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I wonder, I, I'm sure he gets that a lot though because I mean he, he travels a lot and certainly the uh, Lee Valley products are pretty well respected so they're out there, you know, you would uh, imagine he has to confront that quite a bit. But Right, well, you know, I'm wondering now if uh, Woodcraft has the new Wood River uh, planes out and mm-hmm. if anybody's seen these, they look a lot like the old uh, Bedrock series, which is what Lee Nielsen's looking awful lot like. Yeah. In fact, actually, we received an email tonight, and somebody was kind of like talking about that. You know, they look a little similar. So maybe <laughs> if I brought one of those and was like, hey, is there something wrong with your plane? It's not like working the way I thought it would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work like the rest of mine do. Can you help me tune it up? Wow. Yeah, can you take this back with you and replace it with a good one? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Well, dude, that sounds great. And it is. it is the year for education. I will agree with you there because I've got... Uh, like three classes on the books already that I'm signed up for. So I'm pretty stoked about it. Sweet. How, how yeah. much pressure is that for the teacher when they see the wood whisperer sitting in the audience? <laughs> uh, if they know me, uh, not very much at all. <laughs> so um, That's true. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you know what? Let's, uh, we've got a few things around the web that we could talk about. 
Um, Some really cool stuff that came up this week. Uh, First of all, uh, we actually have as part of our giveaway this week at the Wood Whisperer a couple of DVDs by uh, Malcolm Tibbetts, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. And he he has uh, taught a few classes I've I've seen at the David Marks School and uh, he has a great website at uh, www.tahoeturner.com. And again, all the links that we talk about will be in the show notes. And he just does some unreal, amazing segmented turnings that would just knock your socks off. Sweet. Yeah. So wow, it's, those are just so beautiful. I mean, I, I don't know. It's like almost like an optical illusion when I look at them. Yeah. They're, they're, some- they're, I mean, it's almost mind boggling when you look at some of these to figure out. Um, as far as the glue-up strategy that went into to creating the blank, it's just unreal. And Malcolm actually has a couple of DVDs, and like I said, I've got uh, two of them for the giveaway uh, this month and next month, but check it out as, at his website. I know segmented turning is just one of those things that uh, is just fun to watch come together. So um, if you're right. interested in that topic at all, definitely TahoeTurner.com is a place you want to check that out. Right. You know, when I see something like that, I always think Dr. Zeus. There's just no getting around it. You could really <laughs> mess with somebody on that. Right. Okay, so, you know, something I found out on the web, and, I, and actually I just stumbled across it today. You know, occasionally you can get those free downloads of, like, books, uh, uh, articles, stuff like that from all over the place. And I found one, and this is actually from the U.S. Forest Service. It's a free download. It's a PDF. And, of course, we'll have the links in the show notes, and it's called An Axe to Grind, A Practical Axe Manual. Now, I just kind of went into it a little bit just to see, like, what is it? And basically, this covers every type of, well, not every type, pretty much close to every type of axe that's out there. So if you want to, you know, find one for, like, hewing a log, maybe that's your thing. You really want to (laughs) try something like that. Uh, You know, you really are getting back to nature kind of a thing. It's a really neat read. And so I definitely, it's totally free. And there's, a, there's plenty of pictures in there. So if you've ever been really curious about axes, maybe you're getting really into green, green wood uh, projects or something like that, and you've got an axe. In fact, actually, you know, our friend Carrie over at the Village Carpenter, I remember seeing something about she got an axe on eBay the other day. Really? So uh, maybe that's something for her to check out, although Carrie's a very knowledgeable woodworker, so I'm pretty sure she already knows about this stuff. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so we'll have that, that link in the show notes for that. Okay, cool. Very good. Uh, there's another resource I wanted to point everybody to is uh, SketchUpForWoodworkers.com. And have you had a chance to see that yet, Matt? Um, no. Okay. okay. <laughs> You're allowed to say no. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so this actually is a new site that was developed and specifically to show how to make some typical woodworking problems and, and challenges that we have as woodworkers and uh, resolve them using SketchUp and draw some very typical things. If you look at most of the SketchUp tutorials that are out there, they're more generic, you know, uh, architectural interests and engineering interests, and there's really not as much out there saying, this is how you build a bookshelf, you know, this is how you, how you would build this particular thing, a simple box. And that's exactly what the goal of this particular uh, website is, is to give you those basic, uh, the basic instructions and tool set you need to make all kinds of stuff, but using typical woodworking things to teach you that stuff. Uh, so it's sketchupforwoodworkers.com, and I believe he's got like three videos up there already, so definitely check that out. And uh, if you don't know anything about SketchUp yet, it's a, it's a great uh, program for drawing uh, different renderings for woodworking. It's a 3D sort of um, almost like a, I don't want to say dumbed down. I mean, I guess it is kind of a dumbed down <laughs> a CAD program, but it's very user-friendly, point-click, uh, WYSIWYG kind of interface. Right, and easy is absolutely right because I just switched over to it from an old uh, AutoCAD software that I had that was ten times more complicated than this. I didn't think I could do it, but I've been making some stuff with it, and I, I love it. It only takes a couple of minutes, and you 
get an actual 3D look at it so you can look at it and go, what the hell was I thinking with that design? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, all right. Hey, you know, something else I found on the, on the internet uh, and I thought I would share with everybody, and this isn't so much a woodworking thing, although I seem to remember it was about a week ago he happened to mention that you and I and I think Wood Talk Online and maybe somebody else or two were some pretty darn good shows to check out. But it's uh, DudeCraft. Have you checked this guy out at all or um, his blog? I don't think I have, but I love the name. Yeah, well, you know what? This is really neat because I went to it and every single day he's got at least a couple of things up there that are just like one of those, oh my God, that's so cool. Oh my God. <laughs> and it's so funny because the one that really caught my eye, I'm a huge Doctor Who fan from way back when mm-hmm. and he actually had a thing up there for a link showing you how to make a Doctor Who TARDIS uh, for those who are uh, Doctor Who geeks. So <laughs> I'm definitely checking that out. But uh, he, he has a couple other things up. I, I definitely say go and check it out if you get an opportunity to. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. That, so, no, that uh, sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I did check it out briefly today, but I didn't get a chance to really dig into it. Uh, you know, the last thing I had here was sent to me today. I threw it in here last minute. Uh, not really like a major thing, but I thought it was pretty cool, so I wanted to share it. Uh, Colin emailed me and said that he had this ad. It's an old Delta ad from 1936 showing some of their new amazing tools. And uh, it was in, a, I believe, a popular science uh, magazine Ed, and let me see if I can get it up on the screen here so people can Check see. Check that out. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know how, how good the resolution is going to be, but um, I'll put this uh, image in the show notes so everybody can download it full size. But I was just kind of mesmerized by it for about 10 minutes trying to read the text, too. Uh, oh, but, wow. Yeah, I mean, talk about some old iron there. I think that's really, really cool. Nice. You know, I, I there's a, a website out there. We'll just throw one more out there, which is Old Woodworking Machinery. They've got tons of stuff like this. If you're ever interested in checking out this stuff, I mean, they've got names of companies that you're like, who? What? What the <laughs> hell is that? So, that is that is really awesome, though. Yeah, I thought that was pretty <laughs> cool. So let's jump into our news segment. And uh, well, you know what? The big news is that we're uh, we're working with Pop Woodworking, but uh, we already covered that. So <laughs> you wanna, I'll let you hit the, let you hit the next thing. Okay, well, there's another website out there that uh, I signed up for their newsletter because it says Woodworking News, and I'm like, hey, that's news about woodworking. Mm -hmm. So I thought I would check it out, and uh, it is uh, woodworking-news.com, and they just had a a big thing up uh, that came in the other day. Ryobi corded circular saws sold at Home Depot between October and November of 08, and they have a list of serial numbers, I think it is, are all being recalled for safety reasons, and it has something to do with I think if I remember right, um, the blade guard, as it's coming up, it's not securing right or something, and there's the possibility of fingers getting caught in it, which probably isn't a good thing with a circular saw. No, that's kind of scary. Right, so if you happen to have a Ryobi corded circular saw that you bought at Home Depot between October and November 2008, you might want to get it checked out to see if uh, that's one of those, because I understand that they are uh, replacing them with no problem whatsoever, and it's it's a variety of models, so definitely definitely check that out. Wow, yeah. Uh, you know what? Speaking of, of recalls, I was at Costco the other day, and there is a peanut butter product recall that you, you may want to be aware of. Oh, whoa, I just had a peanut butter sandwich like a half an hour ago. Well, you might want to check. You oh. never know. I'm not sure where that came from. But anyway, uh, seriously, there is a peanut butter issue. Uh, Go to Costco and look at it. Okay, Okay. um, (laughs) we've got a couple couple other things here for the news. Now, if anybody is um, a a lumberjack, you probably already know that the Winter Award winners were announced, which is uh, pretty cool. Who was it, Gary Kay, that swept two of them or something? I can't remember what the details were. 
Yeah, I think that's, that was exactly – I remember looking at it going, wait a minute. Now, can you seriously like take two of them? Isn't that supposed to be like all – you know, like evenly distributed? But Okay, yeah that's, but, yeah, that's what it was. Three different uh, – three categories and he got two of them. Wow. Well, congratulations, Gary. That, that's, that's really awesome. And I did have a chance to see the projects and they were stunning. <laughs> they really were. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, every year or every season, because he has, what, two a year at Lumberjocks, it seems like the bar uh, keeps getting higher and higher. Um, if you haven't been there, we're going to put the links uh, in the show notes again. But um, the in, one in particular is the Freckly Cupboard, as it's called, was the first place winner of the Not Like No Other, a Not Like No Other right. category. And it's one of those whimsical pieces that looks like it's from some cartoon or something. I mean, this thing looks like it was out in the sun and, and partially melted. It looks like, uh, I can't remember the artist, right. but those paintings of the, of the melting clocks. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, uh, Salvador Dali. That's there it. you go. Yeah, so amazing, amazing stuff. So definitely uh, check that out. And that is one heck of a bunch of woodworkers over there. Right, absolutely. It was a beautiful project. Mm-hmm. All right. One of the last thing that I wanted to mention on the news, this came up, I do believe, the last time on our, our, our previous episode, I had mentioned the fact that Popular Woodworking now has a digital magazine. And I'm not sure if I had stressed this the right way, but apparently if you have to be a subscriber to the print magazine to take advantage of this. But if I remember right, which apparently my memory is fading once in a while, uh, you can actually um, uh, sign up and you get a, you get a great deal for getting the, the – actual print magazine but once you are getting to the digital thing you can take these uh, articles you can send them to friends you can do all that stuff probably just mentioning all the stuff i did before but i remember there was a need for clarification on whether you could just sign up for the digital print or whether you actually have to have the print also wow totally messed that up (laughs) (laughs) yeah in other words moving on Uh, right (laughs) and let's do that (laughs) yeah so we we do have a few hot deals uh to talk about this week and the first one is another exclusive offer uh, from our friends over at Eagle America. They like to give us very special things for Wood Talk Online listeners only. So th- right now they're doing free Super Saver shipping on all orders over $49. And that's going to expire on uh, the 28th of this month. So head on over there and check it out. The uh, The link will be in the show notes. But it's eagleamerica.com slash woodtalk50. Woodtalk50 because this is episode 50. Uh, great deal. Uh, Eagle America bits are are really top notch stuff. So definitely uh, check that out if you have the opportunity. Right, definitely take advantage of it. It sounds like a fantastic deal. Actually, maybe I'll head over there right after the we're done here. You should. I'll tell my wife I was, I was stranded down here or something. <laughs> All right. So the next one, I uh, everybody's familiar with the fact that uh, Peachtree likes to send out lots of information when they've got a great deal. And right now, Peachtree has fifty percent off a twelve inch digital protractor. And so definitely go ahead. I, I forget what the price is on that. It's probably, I think it's like $30 something now or something like that. Wow. Really inexpensive. But if you, if you take a look at it, we got the picture up there. That's really nice. And the fact that it's digital means that there's no more, like, is that slash, is that a 64th or is that a 32nd? Or is that an 8th? Because <laughs> right. I have that problem all the time. Yeah. So definitely check it out. Yeah. And Peachtree, man, uh, the, what is the deal? Where do they get off with these prices? I know they're they're it's insane. Somebody should really lock them up. <laughs> what is the deal with these people? Um, all right, you want to take that grizzly one? You threw that one in there. I don't know what that's about. 
Yep, actually, I saw this the other day uh, once again in one of the blogs, and I headed over to grizzly.com. We're all familiar with Grizzly Tools, uh, nice and green, and Big Bear on the front of them. Essentially, they are offering free shipping on select tools. And by select, I mean a lot of them. Just their table saw selection alone that they have the free shipping on is quite a bit of their best seller. So definitely, if you're interested in getting a big tool, but you're worried about the price and everything, they're waiving the freight. So basically, for a lot of this stuff, you're saving easily like 100 bucks minimum on the price of the of the uh, the tools so definitely wow. take advantage of that I, I don't even remember if there was an expiration date on this so hmm. wow. if you're in the market for some big tools that might be one of them if you're interested in anything grizzly <laughs> that, that would be the way to do it um that's very cool uh, oh, what in the world was that oh I got so excited about the grizzly and the peach tree thing that I just, <laughs> I, I, I dropped my clamp. <laughs> That's all a, a picture of an eight-inch an eight joiner, and he just lost it. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right, let's jump into voicemails because we got a couple. And the first one is actually from Shannon Rogers. And unfortunately, uh, he sent me an email, said he couldn't make it, but Shannon Rogers is the Renaissance woodworker. And I figured I'd give him a little uh, shout-out here. You can follow him on Twitter at RenaissanceWW. And you can also check out his website at RogersFineWoodworking.com. And right. if you have a chance, actually, I was just over there. He's doing his uh, the whole Rubo Bench Daily Whacker. So he's really nice. smack dab in the middle of it. Uh, and he's blogging about the whole process and probably has some videos there as well. He does a podcast. So definitely check it out as a long oh, introduction you- to a simple voicemail. So. <laughs> It's my kind of introduction, so let's do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, um, Shannon has some questions concerning seal cell and armor seal, so let's uh, let's let the man ask. Hey, Mark and Matt, this is Shannon Rogers, your friendly neighborhood Renaissance woodworker. Got a, a quick question for you. I have a can of General Finishes seal cell that I think I bought uh, probably because it was on sale one time, and I thought let's try this out. And honestly, I haven't used it yet. I'm more of an armor seal guy, and I'm wondering. What is really the difference between the Celocell and Armor Cell, and why would you use Celocell over Armor Cell? Armor Seal. Please get that right. Thanks, guys. Okay. Uh, well, I'll handle hey, this. Matt, what in the now. heck? Sorry. Oh, that wasn't me this time. <laughs> that was definitely my fault. Uh, I will. I'll uh, take this one if you don't mind, because this happens to be one of my pet peeves about finishes and, and marketing jargon and all that good stuff. Okay, well, let's, let's clear the air then. Go for it. Okay, here I go. Ready? <gasps> okay, so I looked it up uh, because I wanted to see what the difference is, technically speaking, how much information the company General Finishes gives us about this. Uh, because really, that's one of the things you're going to confront when, you're, when you start to investigate finishes and what's in them, what type of resin they use. You're going to find a lot of resistance in getting the actual serious information about what the components are because a lot of it's proprietary. So we're not going to be able to find that information out. Um, so from from what I know, and you know what, Nicole, could you get me my props over there? I forgot to get the oh, oh props. I, I actually had props for this. It was great. So right, the, I'm moving um, stuff out of the screen so I can see them. <laughs> right. Uh, so the um, just reading off of their website, first of all, the MSDS, Celacel, uh states that it has 25 to 30% of what they're referring to as a proprietary resin. That can mean anything. Uh, Armor Seal is labeled as having 10 to 35% of urethane resin, which essentially means poly, and 0 to 25% proprietary resin. Um, so this proprietary thing is what, what we have to realize tells us nothing about the difference between these two components. Um, so 
I'm just, again, reading the descriptions now to further confuse myself. Uh, as far as Celacel goes, it says an unusual combination of oils and urethanes. Celacel Clear, for decades, has served craftsmen as the best way to, to get that natural look on beautiful woods that aren't to be stained. The oils penetrate deep within the wood to highlight the warm natural look, and the urethane ensures a deep hardness. Uh, follow with multiple coats of armor seal, and uh, yeah, your life will be great. Uh, so the armor seal says top coats are made with only uh, highest quality urethane resin, making them extremely durable and long lasting, formulated to be wiped on, blah, 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 blah. The problem is, you know, what does that really tell you? One of them says urethane in a description, but it doesn't say urethane on the MSDS. The other one says urethane in both the description and the MSDS. So to me, this all sounds a whole lot like a rinse and repeat situation. Um, okay. that you see on shampoo, you know, and if you rinse and repeat, what do you have to do? You got to buy more shampoo. So in my opinion, and from my uh, experience, I don't really think Celacel is all that necessary of a product. Uh, Celacel probably does contain a different mixture of, of resin than you would find in the armor seal. But to me, it sounds like a mix of resins that's just not as durable, um, which means you really don't want to use that as your top coat because it's going to be a little bit too soft. So I would just stick personally with the armor seal. And the question is, if you look at that description of Celacel, one would think that there's oil in that mixture. And I realize it's an oil-based mixture. And, you know, these oil-based varnishes are really just a resin uh, and oil and heat and a thinner, you know, to create it. So there are oil components in there. But when a woodworker says, is there oil in that finish? What they really mean is at the last step in the process was some oil thrown into the mix, like a raw uh, oil or a boiled linseed oil or tongue oil or something like that. So to read the description, you would think that there's oil in there. And mm -hmm. every time I try to test that, and one of my main tests is to put a drop of the material on a, a non-porous, non-absorbent surface, like a piece of glass, and look for it to, to wrinkle up. If it wrinkles up, generally speaking, it has oil in it. If it dries nice and hard, nice and smooth, it doesn't have any oil in it. It's just varnish. And every time I do this, it never wrinkles up. But if I put a drop of just boiled linseed oil in that mix and then put that drop onto a uh, onto a glass, I get the wrinkles that I would expect to get. So although I can't get absolute clear information from, from the company, I'm just going to say based on my experience that Celacel is just another wiping varnish with a mix of resins that's not ideal for a top coat. So I would say skip it. And where's my little sample board? You didn't tell me where it was. On the, on the <laughs> sink. It's a it's a piece of wood that should not be on the sink normally. Good communication is really at the heart of every good relationship. Of every wood whisperer, wood talk online <laughs> episode. Okay, so um, one of the things that some people say about the differences between these is, well, may, you know, the seal of cell adds a little bit more of a an amber glow or brings out a little bit more life in the wood. And I've never really been able to see a difference between the two. So I just have a little simple, you know, bleach blonde colored birch ply here. And I applied seal cell on one side and armor seal on the other. Now, to me, if it doesn't really look different, and this is after about two coats, if it doesn't really look different at this stage, it's probably not going to look any different two more coats down the line. Uh, so I was just, this is what I could do quickly today. So again, you know, hey, this is a webcam. I'll do the best I can, but... I can tell you honestly, in my opinion, there is zero, absolutely no difference in color between those two. So, wow, look at those samples. That's insane. <laughs> you like that, huh? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, very boring sample. But my point here is that I really don't think that there is a enough of a difference to justify buying 
the seal of cell product. And I, I love, I love general finishes and, and the, the guys at the company that I've talked to are great. Um, but this, this is, you know, business is business kind of thing. And I don't think seal of cell is worth spending money on. Um, I just right. go with the armor seal. Right. It, that my, the only thing I see as a difference is, uh, one starts with seal. The other one ends with seal. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, you know, it's also clearly a problem to get them straight and, and actually say both of the names properly as Shannon found <laughs> out. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. Cause the other thing I'm noticing is it, it definitely seems like seal itself, from what I understand has been around. That's like one of their, their original ones. They've, they've been around forever. So it almost sounds like armor seal is like new and improved. So, you know what? You I, know. I I don't know the, the complete history of it. That could very well be. Um, but right. you know, that's just from yeah. my experience. So if anyone has any different information, by all means, uh, share it with us and leave it in the, uh, comment section of the, of the episode. And right. we, we actually do have another question or another voicemail. If you want me to okay. jump into that. And right in there. Yeah, this one's actually by Halfwit, another one of our Twitter pals. Uh, Halfwit, H, that's actually H-A-F-W-I-T. And, and I love the name of his, his website. It's uh, woodjerk.wordpress.com. Um, well, so be taken the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. I'm going to play this voicemail before you get us in trouble, you, you bad man. Hey, Mark, Matt, it's Pete the Halfwit. Hey, I've got a question for you guys about sharpening plane blades. Uh, recently, I've been uh, taking my planes to a leather strop after polishing them up on water stones to 8,000 grit. Um, I wonder what your guys' thoughts are on that. I pose the questions, uh, or the questions to some bitter, and got a couple different answers. Some thought it would just make the blade too hard and brittle. Others thought, hey, yeah, there's, uh, that's the only way to go. So I was wondering if you guys knew anything about it or if you could do any research and uh, give us your answers or give me your answers. Anyhow, love the show. Look forward to the next episode. And uh, talk to you soon. Bye. Okay, so it broke up a little bit in the middle there, but he said that he asked some folks on Twitter and, and got a mix of opinions, it seems. So right. um, what, what, what say you, Matt? How far do you sharpen and, and do you use a leather strop? Well, you know, this is definitely one of those questions that <clears throat> we can get in a, in a lot of trouble when it comes to how far you take your, your blades when it comes to like getting that final polish on them, taking them to their final sharpening. And like you said, some people will tell you, oh, you go too far, you're going to make the edge too brittle, it's not going to work, it's going to fall apart as soon as you make your first cut. And I, I don't really subscribe to that idea whatsoever. Um, doesn't mean that my chisels are the best or my hand planes are the best, but I just, I, when I've taken them to the absolute farthest, and I've gone so far as to using a leather strop on them, which to me, a lot of times, if, you, if you're doing any type of carving, I mean, woodcarvers all the time take usually their chisels to that final polished bevel to get it as sharp as possible using a leather strop. And the last time I checked, uh, woodcarvers, they, they definitely are putting their tools through a, a lot of use. Now, they're not using hard maple, but still, you know, regardless, hard maple is really going to take some damage on your blades. Sure. I, I say a leather strop is going to work perfectly fine. My only problem with it is depending on how you're using it, you, there is a potential that you could actually start to round the edge itself. Because I happen to have a leather strop that I use for a carving knife that I have. And when I first started using that, that was my main problem was the way that I was holding it, I would actually tend to lift at the wrong second, at the, the last second, and I would roll that edge. So rather than making it sharp, I was actually just rolling it over and kind of making it even more dull than it was before. Sure. So the main thing is to, just like with any of our sharpening medias, whether it's a stone, uh, whether you're using scary sharp system, anything like that, you obviously want a dead flat surface. 
And of course, if you're going to be using a leather strop, obviously, you're, this is the final point. You're just putting that final polish onto the edge of it. So I don't see where there's any problem with it whatsoever. The real issue becomes what type of compound do you put on? Do you use like one of those green mm-hmm. compounds, which I do, works great. I mean, you can get to the point where you have like those diamond paste. I mean, <laughs> right, you yeah. the microns on those things. I mean, that's just insane. In fact, I, I had a listener early on uh, when, when the show was first up and running who we started comparing how far we were going, and he was blowing me away with you know, like the grits that he was getting to. It's like, you know, yeah, I'm up to like 1.5 million grit, and I'm still not satisfied with the result that I'm getting on it. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm going like 2,500 at the most, some, some sandpaper I bought at an uh, auto supply store or something. I mean, Yikes. yeah. Yeah, so you can get up there and make it as you know. That's the other thing is all you're really doing at this point is you're starting to polish it. I don't think it really adds that much more to it. Maybe some people uh, will disagree with me, but once again, I don't need to see my face in the back of my chisel because it's going to scare the hell out of me. So, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, honestly, I feel like beyond eight thousand grit seems to be that that point of diminishing returns. Um, right. I never really have noticed enough of a benefit going beyond eight thousand, even with a a stone um, that's that's set for. You know, I think I have, uh, wow, I actually wasted my money on like a, a 15-something, uh, one of the Shapton high-grit stones. Uh, okay. But, yeah, so, I, I mean, beyond that, yeah, it, it does get better, but is it, you know, worth the time investment it's going to take to do it is really the question. Um, right, now, and the, the way I, I see it is, oh, sorry, if, if no, you're getting ahead. to that point where you're going to these such high grits, then obviously – I mean, we all know when a blade starts going sharp, or it starts going dull, excuse me. We know when it's sharp, we know when it's dull. You can, you can really feel it. Mm-hmm. And my concern is that you're going to get to that point, uh, and this is perfectly fine if you want to get to that point, that where you get, you're, you're so obsessed with keeping that, that, that edge on it that, you know, at that high a grit that it's, you're not going to actually be able to work with the tool because it's going to be like you know, two passes. Oh, 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 I can feel it just slightly. I, I got to take it back to the 25,000, <laughs> you know, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I actually decided to ask Chris and Glenn over at Pop Woodworking just to get their opinions on this and, uh, and hear what system they use and how far they take it. Now, Chris actually said a lot of the same things that you mentioned about going beyond, uh, that you can go beyond 8,000 uh, using a, you know, certain honing compounds. Uh, and of course, it comes with the risk of rounding the edge over. Uh, he mm-hmm. says that he shapes his edge with a thousand. This is Chris, uh, by the way. Polishes okay. the edge to four thousand and finishes up at eight thousand, and then he removes the burr on the backside with the eight thousand grit and goes back to work. So, oh yes, Chris and I have so much in common. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are totally buddies. That's great. We look like twins. There's so much in common. All right, I'm so jealous. All right, maybe I'll have <laughs> maybe I'll have more in common with Glenn. Um, okay. <laughs> Glenn says, here's my take. I power sharpen. My tool of choice is the WorkSharp system. Uh, while the tool does have a leather wheel as an accessory, I don't go there because the ability to touch up an edge with WorkSharp is so easy and I don't see the need, nor do I wish to sharpen any longer than necessary. He says that he does use a leather strop, though, for carving tools, something that he learned from his dad. So uh, that that's actually good to hear two other opinions on that. Right, definitely. Sweet. Yep, and cool. of course, everybody else has theirs. You're welcome to send yours in. We might ignore it, but you can send them in. <laughs> we won't ignore it. Again, bad, bad, Matt, bad, Matt. Okay, uh, we have a Tom's tip ready. And oh, sweet. I love Tom's. Now, most people in our position, um, you know, doing the first show with, with uh, you know, something kind of big with Pop Woodworking, would, would mm-hmm. not play the song that I, that I made for Tom's tips. Because, number one, it's terrible, it's slightly embarrassing, and uh, completely unprofessional, but I've never let that stop me before, so I'm going to do it again. Bring it on. Tom's Tips, 
That's right, I said Tom's tips. I didn't say Tom's lips. I said Tom's tips. Hello, everyone. It's Tom Iavina from Tom's Workbench, and it's time for another one of Tom's tips. Looking for a sweet deal on some wood? At your next visit to your hardwood supplier, ask them what's not selling well. On a recent trip to my hardwood supplier, I scored a sweet deal on some ash that had been taking up space in the wood bins for months. Of course, it may be on a wood species you don't particularly like to work with, but hey, a deal's a deal on hardwood. If you want to discover more clever, useful, or even somewhat coherent tips, check out my blog at tomsworkbench.com or visit any of the other great blogs that belong to the Wood Whisperer Network at twwnetwork.com. Good old Tom. He's always got a great tip there. That was actually a pretty good one because I'm heading to the lumber store tomorrow, so maybe I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. I'll be like, oh, hey, that pile over there, that's just junk. You don't want that. I don't care if it's figured. But, you know, it's sometimes figured you can... All, figured all wrong. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you can actually get good uh, prices on shorts, you know, things that they're just not moving, and, um, you know, a lot of times those shorts, four foot in length is still pretty good for most furniture projects, so, uh, you know, you find some good deals. And you you know what? It it never hurts to just ask. I've learned that one. That's how I got my wife. I said, hey... Uh, what the hell, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're not doing nothing. I'm not doing nothing. Let's get married Let's and have kids together. <laughs> <laughs> right? Okay, so we've got another tip, and this is a new one for those who've been listening to the show for a while. And this is uh, directly from the editors of Pop Woodworking, and uh, voiced by by Chris Schwartz. And you know, Matt and I were talking before the show about possibly doctoring Chris's voice because when you listen to Chris's voice, he sounds like he should be on radio. When you listen yes. to to mine and Matt's voices on the show, you, you kind of want to turn the volume down. So I think in the future we might deliberately just screw with with uh, with Chris's voice on these recordings. But this one is this is untouched. So this one's pure. All right. This is Christopher Schwarz, Popular Woodworking Magazine, and here are some of our best tips from our shop in Cincinnati, Ohio. Sharpen on the pull stroke only. File this one under unsolved mysteries. I've sharpened hundreds, perhaps thousands of tools, and the biggest challenge is removing the coarse scratches left behind by previous grits. For some reason, I can bring up a polish and remove those scratches much faster if I move the tool only in one direction as I sharpen it. Now I find I get more control of a tool when I sharpen on the pull stroke, so here's what I do. Put the tool down on the stone, pull it toward me, lift the tool, and return it back to where I started then pull again. If you don't believe me, try it. I've shared this little mystery with other sharpening geeks and they report the same thing. Now all we need is some pointy head to tell us why this happens. Um, I have somewhat of a pointy head, but I have no idea what he's talking about. What's up with that? Oh. Uh, well, basically, I, I've oh, excuse me. <clears throat> well, basically, I've had this uh, this whole thing where, uh, it, you know, sometimes when you're, you're sharpening, I, I've done this. I, I get really kind of lazy where I just keep the blade on the stone and just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he's saying in those last moments to get that nice polish, just lift that blade up before you go forward, and then drop it, and then slide back, mm-hmm. and then lift it up, go forward. To me, this is exercise. Not a good thing in my shop, but <laughs> it does give damn good results. <laughs> no, I mean, I guess if the way I think about it is if you're doing the pull stroke primarily, it seems like you would, if there's going to be incidental pressure placed on the blade, mm-hmm. it's going to be at the front tip of the blade, um, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to pushing, I don't know, forget it. Uh, I don't, what, <laughs> what the hell did I even try for? 
It, it takes a while to learn. I, I, I still have a hard time with that one. <laughs> I, was just, I was just making stuff up as I went. Well, what am I talking about? All right. I'm gonna, I don't know. What are you talking about? I'm going to cut while I'm still ahead. Okay. Now, um, normally when we have an interview, and we will get more of these as we go forward, we may or may not, depending on the length of the interview, play those on the live show because that means mm-hmm. that we're just going to be sitting around uh, picking our noses for 15 minutes. But in this case, we've got a really special interview with Chuck Bender. Uh, he has a website at a- Acanthus. Am I pronouncing that correctly? They say that it. Sounds how I pronounce it. They say it like twenty times in the interview, but I, I can't remember. So it's a c a n t h u s dot com, and it's about a fifteen minute ish interview. And this guy does some amazing reproduction work that's going to knock everybody's socks off. Literally, you're going to be sitting there, and your socks are going to come off. And oh, uh, nice. Yeah. So um, listen to that and stick around because after the interview we are going to have uh, a few giveaways, which should be a blast. Sweet. So let me play this wonderful interview um, of Chuck by Glenn Huey at Pop Woodworking, and I think you'll enjoy it. Hi, I'm Glenn Huey, Senior Editor with Popular Woodworking Magazine. I'm here today with Chuck Bender. I'm going to do some interview with him, and you guys are going to find out a little bit about Chuck if you're not sure who he is. Uh, I've been around him for a long time. We used to do furniture shows together. That's where we met. He's writing for us now. He has an article coming out in the April issue on carving Spanish feet, so take a look at that. And uh, we'll get into a little interview, find out what's uh, behind Chuck, how he got started, and uh, see where we go from there. So, Chuck, tell me. How did you get started in furniture, and about what age, and you know, how did you just take this whole path to where you are today? Well, I started out uh, in high school, well, junior high school, actually. I was about 12, um, took a woodworking class and really enjoyed it. Thought, you know, I'd really like to do more of this. Um, so I went and checked out potential jobs, you know, what could you do in woodworking, and realized that... I hated all of those, so I figured it was time to, you know, try and break off and do something a little different. And I went and talked to um, the teacher at my local Votech, and he was from Germany, uh, and he just sort of bowled me over with the idea of being able to do a lot of things by hand. You know, most of the jobs I went and looked at were people that were doing architectural millwork or kitchen cabinets, so it was you know, production stuff. Um, so he, uh, he taught his class pretty much like his apprenticeship was, uh, in Germany. You know, you started out learning how to hand, you know, sharpen hand chisels, chisels and hand planes and then how to use them. Uh, so I thought that was kind of a, a neat way to go. So I decided to give it a shot and went there and then I, after graduation, I went to work for one of his former students for a little while and then went to work for Luirian for a little while and Started then went on my own. Sure. You went to work for Erian. They were in Christiana, Pennsylvania. And a, a lot of people don't know, maybe they don't know, but they were probably, as far as I know, they were the first really recognized reproduction furniture place, uh, furniture company that were out there. Were you always interested in, in like the 17th, 18th, early 19th century work, or did you look at contemporary stuff? Have you built contemporary? And kind of where does your heart lie at this point with all this? Yeah, ever since uh, a seventh grade trip to Williamsburg, I was sort of into you know, the colonial stuff. And uh, that's sort of what I looked for. And since I'm basically in the uh, Philadelphia area, 
that you know there's a fair amount of that history that was going on so um i have done some contemporary stuff um not a lot uh my teacher from the Votech uh actually prefers contemporary stuff to the stuff i make he's you know he's too old world we need that new stuff so um yeah, I've, I've always sort of been into that, um, and you're right, they were one of the first. I was actually, I don't know, employee five or six, including Lou, um, so I was there fairly fairly early on, um, and we weren't in Christianity at that point. We were still down in Paoli working out of a half of, well, at that point it was both sides of a twin house. We had broken through all the walls and... By the time we got really going, we had 29 guys in, in a twin, in two halves of a twin house, and it was crazy. So you're working with the Erians and you're building furniture. When did you decide it was time to break out on your own? What made you take that leap? I mean, a lot of guys I talk to say, hey, I'm interested in building furniture full time. And hey, we all know that it's a tough business. I mean, it's not something you're just going to go out there and become a millionaire at. When did you hit that point that you decided it was time to go? The shop there had gotten a lot larger, and we were heading more in a production sense. You know, we were we were really trying to create specific things that were repeatable. Um, so we were making pieces that were always going to be made, and they weren't expanding the line as much. I'd already done a lot of that for them. You know, I did a lot of the design work and a lot of the one-off pieces for a long time, and it was just. It was time. You know, I, I wasn't feeling like I was going anywhere artistically, if that's what you want to call it. I had, a, I had been working, I had a whole slew of customers that I had already, already created for myself there. You know, when they came in, I built their pieces. So um, they just followed me and kept me going for the first couple of years as I tried to get out there and get some name recognition. So, Your website is acanthus.com. You've uh, just started a woodworking school where you're teaching, which is Acanthus Workshops. So for those of us that always wondered, and now I do know what an Acanthus is, why don't you explain it to us? Now, I know you didn't start Acanthus with A-A-A-A Canthus, so you could be first in the phone book, but <laughs> there's got to be a way, there's got to be a reason you picked Acanthus for your, for your company name. Um, well, it's a typical 18th century carving motif. Um, if you look at chair legs and high boy legs and stuff and you see all that sort of vegetation that's coming off of there during the Rococo or Chippendale period um, depending on whether you're politically correct or incorrect like me <laughs> um, you know the correct the politically correct term is Rococo um, but it's all based off of the whole idea behind the Rococo period was they were trying to bring in realistic natural vegetation ornamentation on things and one of the things that they were copying was a, a plant called the acanthus plant um, so if you search online google acanthus you'll actually besides my website <laughs> yeah I come up first which is great um, but sooner or later you'll find the botanical pictures of the actual plants and you know cool. so Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the woodworking school. It's it's new. It's fresh. How long have you been out there? It's like a year and a half or so now, two years. So how is your school different from other schools? Well, what do you do that's different? I mean, what sets yourself apart from, from you know, the Mark Adams, the Kelly Millers, the different places that are out there? Well, 
I bring what I think I bring to the table is 30 years of just massive amounts of furniture production using a combination of hand tools and power tools. Um, you know, for those students who come to the school or people that see me at shows and stuff like that, I usually carry my portfolios with me and most people scratch their heads at just the numbers of pieces that they see in the in the books and when they see when I tell them that you know I've made 50 or 60 grandfather clocks and they only see two pictures <laughs> two pictures that you know they're pretty blown away by that and it's I have an awful lot of experience doing this stuff um, the other thing that I really wanted to concentrate on was personal education I really want to make sure that you know the the students go home with completed projects but also a massive amount of um, information and skills. Um, so I limited the class numbers to no more than six. Um, you get tons of one-on-one time. If you want to modify the project a little bit or you want to, you know, we our classes are a lot like a pinball game. You know, they start out going in one direction and they tend to veer off in side directions all the time, but we always get to the end, you know. So it's lots of fun. Mm-hmm. So let's jump back to the furniture. I've had a chance to look at your portfolio. And uh, one of the things that caught my eye is the way you have it arranged. It's like every museum book that I've ever seen. You start with chairs, then you go to case pieces, and you go – I mean, it's like I can go to 10 pages back and get past the chairs. One of the things I want to touch on is when we first met, you actually were dealing in antique books and, and running that whole deal. Was that a result of your woodworking? Did you get involved to get woodworking books, or was that a whole other side business? It was a it was an entire other side business for a long time. Um, where it sort of came into play was uh, just started doing research um, on the period stuff, trying to trying to learn as much as I could about it. Um, <clears throat> and what you find out is a lot of the books, the, a lot of the greatest books with the most information on this stuff, are out of print. Let's face it; there's not a massive market for this stuff, so a lot of these museums would print. 2,000 copies of something and when they're gone they don't reprint them so uh, the values of those things rose greatly so you might go out and try and find a book and it might be $1,500 for a book that's only 10 years old you know Um, so I started gaining experience knowing what books had better information in them started meeting more people. I had created a network of curators and antique dealers and collectors that knew that I was looking for things and all of a sudden I had multiple copies and I was actively seeking this stuff. So some of the other cabinet makers I knew were asking me, hey, if you find me one of those Downs books, yeah. you know, on all the Queen Anne and Chippendale furniture at Winter Tour, could you pick it up for me? So, you know, sooner or later it turned into a, a viable business. So let's shock everybody and let's say, tell us the most money you've paid for a woodworking book. Um, well, the most expensive book I ever bought was I paid about $5,000 for an original Chippendale director. Um, printed in 1754. Um, and I, it also had the supplementary plates that he created over the next 10 or 12 years, which was the coolest thing I ever bought. And then, but specifically related to modern woodworking books, um, I paid 
a little over $2,000 or $2,500 for a book that was published in 1904 by Luke Vincent Lockwood on the Pendleton Collection, which is at the Rhode Island School of Design. So if you had to recommend a book, I mean, you and I come from about the same area on that. I, I tell people if you're looking for books, buy museum books because the pieces are there, the descriptions are there, the prices are the sizes are there, and you can get an awful lot of information. So if you had to recommend a single book that was, let's keep it under 2000 bucks. <laughs> we don't need to go above that. Where would you go and what would you suggest? Uh, the book I would, books I would suggest really is actually a three-volume set by Wallace Nodding, um, Furniture Treasury. And what I would suggest is you get the 1948 edition, if you can, or earlier. Um, he published them in the early 20s. I think it's 21 or 22, 23. Actually, it might be 21 and 23 because volume three came out two years after volumes one and two. Um, volumes one and two are all photographs um, of thousands of antique pieces and volume three is text and line drawings and what that those books really do for you is help train your eye you can see shapes of legs and you know you start to look at proportions of pieces and you'll see just everything possible so when i look at your work from all the times we did shows i got the feeling that you were really focused a little bit more in the william and mary period is that where you really would be if you went out to build a piece today, or was that because at the time your customer base was set up in that area? Um, I was drawn to initially when I was a kid to the Chippendale period because of the extensive carving. You know, it just it gives a craftsman really the opportunity to showcase their skills. Um, but the more I got into this and the more I learned about period furniture the more I really like the earlier style, the William and Mary, the Jacobian and the William and Mary stuff, because you can see that's really, you know, the, the beginning of when we went from just having our stuff in boxes on the dirt floor, you know, we're raising it up and you're starting, they're starting to get skilled craftsmen that are making these pieces. So that's, I, I tend to lean towards William and Mary at this point. Um, but I also happen to have a client base that supports that. Um, you mentioned carving. I was under the impression that you decided one day that you wanted to be a better carver and you squirreled yourself away in the shop and just took your carving tools in there and started at it. Is that a true story or is that just something that I've heard? I mean, you've, you've been doing this. Let's, let's go age-wise. You're mid-40s and you've been doing this since you were 15, 16 years old, 12 years old. So you got a lot of time. You're probably... In my opinion, you're probably one of the most accomplished young woodworkers that I've ran into. So carving, did it come natural? Did you fight it? Did you work at it? How did you become accomplished? Um, well, I wanted to learn how to do it when I was in my early teens. And I read a local newspaper article about a fellow who had spent 900 and some hours carving the, a chest. So I went out and talked to him um, about becoming an apprentice and realized that he had a, uh, a formal apprentice structure that was an eight-year program and uh, figured that really wasn't the direction I was going to go. But I spent, a f spent some time learning some things from him, um, trading off working in a shop for a few carving lessons here and there. And he was a bit eccentric and he had me carving with molding plane irons um, but what it actually taught me was to be innovative and 
um, to use tools in different ways. And so at that point, it was just stepping up to, you know, practicing and learning how to do things and clean up the the quality of your carving. I mean, it was, I'm mostly self-taught. Well, before we wrap up, let's talk again just a little bit about the school so people know it's out there. Give us the website um, where they can find information on those things. Well, the school is called the Acanthus Workshop, and the website is acanthus.com. That's A-C-A-N-T-H-U-S.com because um, nobody knows how to spell Acanthus. Um, again, it's you know really geared towards uh, folks that want to learn how to make furniture. So if what you want to do is learn how to build a deck, this is not the school for you. Okay, so also I will tell everybody you're out in the Philadelphia area, and you mentioned that earlier when you're talking about all the different uh, area or different uh, furniture types that were around. So Chuck, appreciate you stopping in and spending a little time with us, and uh, thanks much. Thanks for having me. Well, there you go. That was pretty awesome, and what I got from that interview is that if I want to make a uh, reproduction um, deck, that I'm not going to go to his school. Uh, you know, I'm right there with you. I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, well, what if I need to do some reproduction flooring in my house, <laughs> which is something we have coming up this summer? Um, I will definitely avoid the uh, the shop. But when it comes to some of those pieces, maybe like that, one of the, that pencil post best uh, bed. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Madison was just talking about like you know my daughter absolutely wants something like that. So that's one of those things that I, I would love to really have an opportunity to sit down with somebody and and do something like that or, or learn something like that because I could come up with something like that, but basically it's some two by fours with like a stretcher <laughs> there you go honey it's modernistic utilitarianism at its best <laughs> exactly yeah now i thought i thought the interview was great uh thanks chuck and chuck is actually in the chat room now so um it's an honor to have him here the, just yes, the sheer you. the sheer volume of work uh that he's produced is um just mind-blowing uh just what i had going across in the live feed uh, was just a, a small sample of, of what this guy has done. And uh, definitely check out his website. And if you're in the area, you know, geez, take a class, man. <laughs> don't yeah, no be kidding. Don't be crazy. Take a class. Yeah. If you have an opportunity to, to learn from somebody who is just doing amazing stuff like this, it's it's just amazing. It, it's, it's amazing. It's, am, it's, it's amazing. It's, is it amazing, Matt? <laughs> it's amazing uh, <laughs> <Okay>. or amazing. <laughs> so thanks to uh, to Glenn and to uh, to Chuck for for putting that interview together for us much appreciated and we are going to at this point close the main part of the show as far as the recording is concerned and we do have a few giveaways to do here and we'll do those once we stop recording and matt i believe you are on a time crunch so we can certainly let you go and and close out the show as normal if you'd like to do that Yep, absolutely. So if you have heard something today, you're brand new to the show, you've been listening for a long time, you just don't pay attention to us whatsoever, you have a comment, question, suggestion, some feedback, whatever it is, you can get a hold of us a couple different ways. You can email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com, or you can pick up your phone like, well, Roger and uh, and Pete, the halfwit did, and you can call us at 623-242-2450. And of course, we'll have that in the show notes, so you can definitely um, uh, find it that way. Absolutely. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we will catch you probably roughly approximately two weeks ish from now i think yep definitely two week ish ish <laughs> is the best way to put describe it but definitely yeah so happy <laughs> and safe woodworking and uh watch all your fingers and toes that's right we'll talk to you all later take care everybody see ya